Hello, and welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hey guys, Buddy C. I'd like to welcome everyone. Tina, Lala, Marla, Rob, Paul, Brian, and Craig so far already have a Brady Bunch almost. The 71st chapter of the Tao Te Ching, I think Paul's going to read for us today. Uh, here we go, chapter 71, first translation. Knowing ignorance is strength, ignoring knowledge is sickness. If one is sick of sickness, then one is not sick. The sage is not sick because he is sick of sickness. Therefore, he is not sick. And uh, second translation, not knowing is true knowledge. Presuming to know is a disease. First realize that you are sick. Then you can move toward health. The master is her own physician. She has healed herself of all knowing. Thus, she is truly whole. Translation number three, knowing you don't know is wholeness. Thinking you know is a disease. Only by recognizing that you have an illness can you move to seek a cure. The master is whole because she sees her illness and treats them and thus is able to remain whole. And the final translation, if you know what you don't know, you're doing great. If you don't know what you don't know, you're sick. The only way to get rid of that sickness is to be sick of it. The masters aren't sick because they got sick of being sick. And how many times did I say sick? 17. <laughs> okay. Am I the only one that counts? No, I don't know. I just guess. Comments before we, as we begin. Um, I just read two different versions, and one of them said, are, are we talking about medical, physical illness, or mental illness? And I suppose after reading the four translations, it, it goes for both. It really does. Of course, I was thinking the the mental side was my primary thought. Oh, go ahead. Did I interrupt you, more? No, and no, and I'm thinking. For me, it was. I was thinking the physical part because in you know my history, I've dealt with people who have a chronic illness, MS, and we're always we were trying to get them not to be, or not to be the illness. Rather, they have the illness, but not to be it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I could have used a different word there. <laughs> both? Like, I don't know, confused. Um, sick seemed like a Lao Tzu was turning into like a 17-year-old boy or something. It just seemed a little like of an immature word. Or maybe it was just, I think they could have used a different translation. Of- and he probably did, Lala. That's probably just the way it was translated for us, you know? Uh, I was I was I was thinking more along the lines of uh, like character defects, yeah, rather than physical illness. I guess that I guess that relates to the mental part of it. Yeah, I definitely wasn't thinking physical illness. I was I was thinking of just the state of you know in Buddhism the the state of confusion. You know, thinking that you know things versus we really don't know anything. Yeah, I think it's uh, humility in a sense. That's how I see it, and. Uh... Not, not being um, arrogant, know-it-all, um, 
because that will lead you down, down a, a path where your ego takes over and, and you are actually sick, in a sense, mentally sick. So I see it. And mental sickness does does turn into physical sickness, the mind brain mind mind body connection. So in that sense I can see it being a physical. Craig, you have something? The translation by Victor Mayer. His takes out words like ignorance and kind of puts it in a little bit more more stuff that we could understand. So his translation was to realize that you do not understand as a virtue. Not to realize that you do not understand as a defect. The reason why the sage has no defects is because he treats defects as defects. Thus, he has no defects. So looking at that translation for myself, to realize that I do not understand as a virtue. Um, when I first came into recovery, I thought, I thought I knew everything that was wrong with me. I thought I knew everything about me, and I thought I knew what was best for me. Uh, it wasn't until I started working with everybody else that people were pointing out, like, you don't actually know as much as you think you know. And everything that you do think you know is probably wrong. So I had to, to recognise these as a, as a defect. But not to realise that you don't understand it's a defect, you're living in a state of denial. So until I can actually accept the fact of what's going on uh, and releasing control, I see a lot of the first step in this by recognising the fact that I now have a problem. I can now admit I'm powerless over alcohol and I can see where my life is becoming unmanageable. And then I can take it. I can take it from there to basically hand over, hand over my defects, or have somebody help me. We work on them. I don't think we're always. I don't think we're ever going to be free of these defects. I, th- I think just realizing the fact that we're human and we're always going to have these is a big part of this as well. So it's like this. It's like the old AA saying: we're given a daily reprieve. Um, I thought the victim there version was a bit more user friendly. Yeah. That that first uh, that first phrase in the make up your own translation that you can do in the Jonathan Star, I came up with being blissfully ignorant will lead to disaster. <laughs> yeah, that that that's a possible translation of that. So, um, I was going to say, you know, I'm also relating a lot to that word to, to being whole. I was listening to um, Dane Fonda, one of my heroes, and she said in one of her interviews, we're not meant to be perfect, we're meant to be whole. And so we're not meant to, and this is also taken from Buddhism, we're not meant to know everything at the end of our life. We're not supposed to like get, go through our life and be like, okay, I know everything and now I can die. We're actually supposed to go through our whole life and realize we know nothing, like you know, every book study I go to in my Buddhist temple leads to more. I, I leave going, oh, my God, I know even less than when I came in there. So it's it's almost like you're unlearning everything that society has taught you. It's, it's progress, not perfection. That's, you're that's an open vessel at the end of it. You're a completely open vessel. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, realizing that, it's, it's realizing that we're not, we're not, we're not going to be perfect. We're never going to be perfect. I think as long as we're, we're working on the progress part, we're not standing still. But we're recognizing what's there, what's right in front of us. Just what Buddy was saying about being blissful or ignorant. Yeah. I was I was completely ignorant to what I was doing, the, the, the carnage I was causing, the money I was wasting, the the lives that I was ruining, just just doing what I wanted to do because I was ignorant to everything else that was going on around me. I think I knew, I and I knew when I wasn't right on the right path. I was aware, 
I was aware when I was not on the right path, but I chose to do it anyway. It was a choice. It was a choice. The, the ability to say, I do not know or succumb to ego to live in a vulnerable situation um, was an idea I had with that. And that next phrase could be translated uh, by working through the pain, do we avoid pain? And I was thinking about that, that uh, am am I tired of being tired? Am I sick and tired of being sick and tired? You know, we've all heard that, you know. So am I, am I tired of this sickness? Um, and that's the point I got to with recovery was I was just tired of the way I was living. There had to be something different. Quite honestly, for me, it had to be different or I was out of here because I was tired of the way I was living. Um, okay, this idea of approaching everything with not knowing is, is an interesting is an interesting thing. I had an I had an an opportunity actually to do that last night. I went to the Soto Zen Zen Buddhist Center in Atlanta for a um, meditation training, and they meditate with their eyes open. I'm like, what? How do you meditate with your eyes open? <laughs> but I didn't act like I knew anything. I just okay. I said I'll do it. You know, and uh, don't know if it worked or not, but it was, uh, you know, approaching things that you think you know a little bit about <laughs> for with an open mind, that beginner's mind, is so important, no matter what it is that we're talking about. Rob, you have something, sir? Yeah, I'm trying to think how to apply this to my messed up thinking. And every time that I would come up into a new situation. I think of when we were newly married and my wife wanted to start the family and I'm like, no, we're not ready yet. And I I actually could probably find it. I had a spreadsheet because I always spreadsheet everything and overanalyze it. And I figured out how much it was going to cost per day, per month. And, you know, the whole thing in there. And um, I had to know everything, so I was prepared for it, so there were no surprises. You know, I'm a project manager by trade. There's a finite number of things that you got to line up to get this thing done, whether it's a kid or whether it's, you know, implementing something. And we got into it, and I think, I think my problem, and it's just coming together for me uh, now in recovery, is when I think I know everything, and then I find out I don't, like I know nothing. My whole sense of control is yanked out from underneath me. And now I'm, I'm crazy. I'm, I'm freaking crazy. We got blown away by diapers. I had no clue. I'd figured out how many diapers per day, and I was off by about 10. And those things were expensive. And then all the co-pays and everything else. I mean, I, I can just remember going through this. And then I've done this everything in my life. I'm going to go change careers. Well, now I'm, I'm going to be an accountant, which is bizarre. It's like, okay, I, I don't know anything because life's going to happen, and I just got to, you know, I've got no control. I can pick out what I'm going to wear today, and that's about it if it's clean. So this, I could have used this about 40 years ago. It probably would have saved a lot of grief. You weren't ready for it, though, Rob. You, <laughs> well, <laughs> no, you, you weren't ready. 
you would have just drank more so you wouldn't have to so you could uh be okay with not knowing because it's not the fact that you knew anything or with any of us it's not the fact that we know and all of a sudden we're deciding we don't know we didn't know the whole time <laughs> and just didn't know it <laughs> we're not aware of it i guess would be a way that we could say that you know because it really is about awareness i I wrote down this statement about the sage. Yeah, well, about, you know, you all, I've always heard crazy people don't know they're crazy. You know, <laughs> if you think you're crazy, you're probably not crazy, right? <laughs> and the sage is not perfect. He's just aware of his imperfections. So it's an awareness of things more than anything, you know, so that we can approach with this open-mindedness and this beginner's mind. So that we can say, okay, what what is it that you know that I need to learn here? What how is it that I'm not seeing this? You know, and that openness I think is where the uh, that surrender and openness is is where the gift is. Comments? I was thinking about the ways that I tolerate sickness in my life. Talking about application for me, that would be bad tv bad netflix mostly bad uh sometimes lack of exercise making the wrong decision in my eating seven deadly sins <laughs> Slaw yeah. me yeah for real for real all and how i tolerate sickness until it gets to the point that i can't tolerate it anymore get to that weight limit that's my maximum that I will tolerate or the other things, you know, that push me and letting circumstances push me around instead of uh, living a, a life free of sickness instead. It's exactly what I did in my recovery. And I still do that at times, you know, I will tolerate so much uh, a lack of peace in my life and I'll get disturbed to a point that, you know, reminds me of the first three steps. You know, if I have an area of my life, I'm not turning over to the care of God. The third step, I start having a lack of peace, which is the second step, my insane thinking. And then if I let that stay long enough, it's going to end up in unmanageability. I'm going to see it out here some way. So for me, when I start getting that lack of peace, I know there's an area of my life I'm not turning over to God's care. There's somewhere I'm trying to run the show, trying to run the show. And I will tolerate that sickness for so long. Comments? In, um, I'm going to bring up yoga. There's a term called avidya, and avidya means uh, ignorance, willing, willingful ignorance, which is I think relates a lot to this. Yeah, you know, we we accept these payoffs for our tolerating these sicknesses in our life that really are just poor substitutes for the real thing, you know? I um I'm I'm thinking about Oprah also because a long time ago I remember she was getting into the whole wellness area and she was talking about when she would get sick or get a cold or something like that, and she would talk herself out of it. I don't have time for this. You know, it's like, I'm not going to get sick. I don't have time for this. And she'd be healthy after that, which I thought, 
which works, actually. It works most of the time. Sometimes it doesn't, but I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, the sage meets with no sick-mindedness since he recognizes he's sick of being sick. (laughs) Therefore, he's free. Therefore, this is the secret of health, is that he does not tolerate foolishness anymore. Just like you're talking about with Oprah. This illusion that this sickness is going to give us something that we want, whether we're talking about that'd be more of a, a mental thing or sometimes it's physical. I knew someone who, if some family member of theirs was sick, they were going to be sick because they had to have the attention. It was apparent. And every time, if someone was in the hospital, they were in the hospital. And it was an odd thing, but what everyone realized was this person got sick because they had to have the attention too. And that's an extreme, but if we don't watch ourselves, we will accept this illusion of uh, whatever this negativity is. Just think about the character defects in your life or the negativity that we tolerate because of the little payoffs that there are that are associated with those things. Um, how much uh, benefit we can get out of uh, self-pity, for example, if we tolerate that in our life, or the re- the little rewards we get out of uh, propping up negativity about another person, the, the payoffs for being the victim, all of those type things that, if we're not careful, will help us to, to accept uh, these poor substitutes for these benefits for being sick. Uh, Paul, that uh, Letting Go book talked a lot about this. Um, um, what was his name, the guy that wrote that? Um, Hawkins. Hawkins, yes, thank you. Yeah, I just, I just got that in the mail. I'm loving it. Oh, it's good, isn't it? I wish you were still doing the podcast on that. It's like, oh. So it's 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 life. Yeah, that 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 was a game changer for me, Lala, yeah. this year. And I'm just in the introduction. <laughs> yeah, wait till you wait till you get into it. It's really yeah. Good. It's real. I mean, the mo- actually just for a sidebar here, I hope you don't mind. The most interesting mm-hmm. thing was that I thought um, expressing emotions was more important than repressing them, or you know. But what that does is kind of just puts that energy onto somebody else. What you do is you feel them, you let them come up, and you let them go. That was huge for me. I thought it was like, oh, no, I need to show how I feel. But I guess innately I'd also been doing the the right way. I thought the opposite, Lala. I thought, (laughs) yes, I felt guilty for feeling the feelings. So, I mean, I was a man. I wasn't supposed to have feelings. You know, that's just, I don't tolerate that. You know, I'm angry at that person and I'm not supposed to be angry, you know, or I've got some other emotion that's more, uh, that I would normally, you know, I'm sad about this. I don't need to be sad. Well, for I'm a guy, supposed to, I'm supposed to accept this. I'm not supposed to be sad about it. I almost feel like for a guy, anger would be the acceptable one. I always loved how guys yeah. were just mad at each other. They'd fight and it would be done. Whereas women, 
don't deal with it. They talk shit about them behind their back. They, it's, it's almost like I always liked working with guys because they would just get in fights, be done with it. and like Yeah, but, but after you're in recovery for a while, you're not supposed to be fighting. You're not supposed to. That's an emotion that you're not supposed to show, you know. So you're, you know, you're, you're mature now. You're spiritual. You're not supposed to have all of the. Right. All of a sudden, we're not supposed to be angry about anything. Okay. Right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. So, so when you start having these emotions, you're like, oh, I'm not supposed to feel that way now. If something's wrong. I've got to. I, you know, I don't need to feel that. Sometimes the opposite because we quit drinking, so they all come up like. Exactly. Well, if I, if I may, I was raised to not feel emotions if i was sad about something my parents would say get over it if i was mad at a sibling or something they would say get over it until you know i got to the point where i just desensitized and stopped feeling anything um and even to this day i I think i i have not thought out completely i i think i'm still afraid to feel What I realized was that when I allowed myself to feel that feeling, it took the power away from it and it just evaporated away. It was amazing how quick those feelings left. I've talked about that with anger before, how I could sit around and be angry all day about something that hadn't happened yet. And, you know, just thinking about it and I would get angry. And uh, I use the example of my accountant. It'd be January. I remember this in particular. One day in January last year, I was sitting there thinking about my taxes, which I wasn't going to do until September, but I was thinking about how he was going to try to screw me, blah, blah, blah. And I got angry and I would sit there all day and be angry at my accountant (laughs) and nothing had happened. It was just all in my head, right? So when it happened, I was starting to learn this stuff. I said, okay, hey, I'm going to try this on my accountant. So I said, good, it's an opportunity. Okay, I'm angry. So I said, okay. I'm going to be angry at him. I'm not going to say his name. I said, I'm going to be angry with whoever. And all of a sudden, the anger started going away. And I was like, wait, wait. I wanted to enjoy that for a while longer. <laughs> I used to enjoy getting angry at people. I could get angry at someone and just tune them up. You know, and it would just be fun, you know, to just jump yeah, in. You that's, know? A, that's a little payoff you're talking it about. It is, Paul. It is, exactly. So that is that is not – that is the opposite of what this uh, – oh, what what this uh, chapter saying, right? I was gonna say to Marla too. I think, um, and I'm learning a lot of this too. It, it's vulnerability is actually a power. So instead of like not showing them and not feeling them, being able to feel them and being vulnerable, it's it's like I always say that Leonard Cohen line. It's the cracks that let the light in. It's like what where intimacy is born because you have that. You know, you're showing your you're showing your true self versus like the super mom that has everything together and she's perfect. And, you know, she doesn't show any cracks in the armor. That's good. That's good. Lala. Thank you. Uh, Oh, that, that book. Thank you, Paul is letting go the pathway to surrender David Hawkins. Yeah, that's, that's a great book. The audio. I love the audio because I listen to it over and over and over again. It's a very, for me, it's a very easy listen. Some of those books are not easy to listen to. But that one is easy to listen to. I don't know how many times I've listened to it, and I'll go back to it in between, uh, in between audible books. So I'll go back to that one. That's one of my regulars. There's a lot there. So I'm I'm looking over here to my left, and I count nine books that I've got. 
that I want to know and understand so I can get this thing figured out and be, be healthy. And thought just dawned on me another, I got to read this stuff so that I can learn that I don't know, that I don't got this. And I, I get stressed. I'm looking at this, another book, because I'll buy it and I'll hand it. And I've got like nine books with quarter of it read. You know, I'm trying to get through Tolle. I'm trying to get through um, Untethered Soul. And it's all this stuff. And I'm like, I got to get this figured out. Just like I, I got to be ready for a kid. I got to be ready for my career. I got to be ready. I got to get, I got to get this figured out. I got to, I got to know everything. And even as I'm saying this, I'm stressed. I'm like, Oh my word. So maybe I need to take a lesson from this and keep reading, but come in it from the fact that I, I have no clue what I'm doing. I, well, I'm not this and I'm, I'm, I'm not screwed because I don't know. I'm actually healthier because I don't know. If you can take for me uh, and I, and I think the same thing I'm sitting here, we're talking about not knowing, and I have my written with notes. I have one, two, three, four, five books <laughs> here. <laughs> then I have more books, you know. And my attitude has had to change from I'm reading so that from, you know, I'm reading to educate myself, to know, to how can I hear this person? Am I listening for this person's experience in their book, which is different? You know, how did this affect their life? What can I, just like in a meeting, if I go to a meeting with the idea that I'm going to tell these people how to do this, and then they can, you know, they can have the peace and joy that I have, or do I go to the meeting, do I open my heart, do I send love to everyone there? And do I say, God, how can I help these people? What can I do to be of help and service today? How can I share my experience in a way that will give them love today? How can I love them? That is totally different. So learning how to read something that interests you in a way that you're looking for their experience in their life, not instruction on you know, how to do this better. Does that make sense? Kind of? No, <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> but you're on, I think you're on the right path with that, Rob, because I've had to do the same thing because if I don't watch myself, I will just go crazy with trying to gather more education. You know, Craig? What are you going to do with all the knowledge once you get it? I had, to, I had to stop doing this because I, I ended up in a stage of recovery burnout. I wanted to know everything. I had to do everything. I had, I had to go. I had to listen to all the podcasts. I had to read all the books. I had to know absolutely everything that was going on and ended up just depressed and just at a stage where I had to go back to the doctor. And the doctor was like, look, stop. Just, just stop. You, you don't have to understand everything that's going on. You just have to understand the fact that it's going on and this is what we can do about it. We can do things about it. We don't have to. We don't have to sit and read all the medical textbooks and everybody else's. What we what we're really going to do with somebody else's opinion on what's going on with me is completely different. Somebody somebody's perception of what's going on with me um, could be completely different to what is actually going on with me. 
what I think is going on with me could be completely different to what's going on with me. But if you read all them books, if you manage to get through them all, you can let us know so that way I don't have to sit and read more. Uh, Jan? No, no, I, I, I'm also on a, on a book buying spree, but I'm kind of letting them pile up on my shelves. And, and this time around, and, and Rob, maybe that's the way to do it. You don't have to read them all in one week and get through them and, and create anxiety. Just let them sit there and pick them up. And, and you know, that's what I'm doing now. And um, read them when I feel I need to read them. But at least I know I've got them. <clears throat> um, because I, I don't think it's about intellectual, gathering intellectual knowledge about these things. It's about, in a sense, assimilating this into in, into your own life. And, and, and you have to take time on these things. Otherwise, you're going to get, what Craig said, burnout. And it's just going to be... It's just becoming another addiction in a sense, uh, you, you know, almost. But but I think there's so much knowledge, uh, so much wisdom here and the this, this stuff that's recommended. But I, I also, I'm, I'm, I'm on Amazon three times a week because every time I hear a recommendation and I've got a whole shelf of books here. And, uh, but uh, don't, don't, don't let it make you anxious. <laughs> you, you, you're not cramming for an exam. That's um, my view. It's there. You can read it when... You know, when, when, when you need to. And also, too, this is a great – thanks, Jan. This is a great example of how our approach to life with everything, for me, changed and continues to change. From this idea of when I was a kid and the new pinball machine came out – now, I'm really dating myself, but we have some people here that played pinball machines. Were you the folks that when you walked up to the pinball machine, you were so excited, but you waited, you didn't put the quarter in, you read the instructions first? I was that guy. (laughs) I read the instructions, and I understood what I had to hit to get the points so I could get the high score. (laughs) Okay, because you got to read the instructions to do that, right, Rob? Right. So I was so bad, and I'll date myself, that we didn't have internet way back in the Stone Age. And Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man, I actually wrote away, there was a magazine, and I wrote away, sent a self-addressed stamped envelope for the hacks. I actually had the hacks mailed to me, not emailed. (laughs) And I did get high score on both, by the way. I think it lasted for a week. I mean, was that not the point to win? It wasn't about enjoying the game. You had to win, right? (laughs) There was zero enjoyment and about 300 bucks later in quarters. Yeah, rock and roll. Yeah, you know, so, but is this not a good um, example of how our entire approach to life starts to change? Even, and what what I did was I came into recovery and applied the same uh, sickness to recovery that I applied to my Christianity, that I applied to my business, that I applied to my marriage that I applied to my kid raising to everything. I applied the same sickness, which was I have to learn everything I can learn. I have to know everything I can, not for any kind of enjoyment, but so I could be the best. That's my ego, my whole deal. Okay. So how did that change? That's why it took me six years in and out before I learned of recovery, before I learned how to be powerless. Because the first thing I had to do 
was give up the idea that I had this figured out. So once I got past that, I found myself all those ideas starting to creep back in. That's why I think it's important, you know, in the 12th step, it says that we learn to practice these principles in all our affairs. So that powerlessness that I learned with alcohol, that surrender, that letting go, I had to learn how to apply that to everything else, which is where I'm at now, is learning how to do that. So when I start talking about a text about not knowing, and I get out six books to talk about not knowing. (laughs) I still have a ways to go with that, right? But what I've learned is that if I can read a text, and this goes to what you said, Jan, uh, I mean, everyone, when I have a podcast, because I have like 30 podcasts that I have the latest episodes on in my reader, right? And I learned, I said, if I start listening to something and it's not speaking to me, like that intuitive, that I'm not getting something out of this, like on a spiritual level, I just skip it. I said, nah, that's not speaking to me today. And I'll skip it. And I'll skip and I'll skip. The same with books. I'll read something. I got a book not long ago on um, the Jesus, uh, the Jesus Sutras, which is Taoism and Christianity and China. And I thought it was going to be really spiritual. And I got to read it. I said, this just isn't for me. So I'm thumbing through it to see if I'm missing something, but I'm not sitting there getting every word. It's just not for me. You know, it's not like I got to know all this. I don't have to add more knowledge. So it's taking that same approach of powerlessness that I really don't have the answer. And is there something spiritually speaking to me in what I'm reading, what I'm listening to? That's why I enjoy this uh, meeting so much and why we made this into a podcast is because we just got so much out of it. It wasn't that we were getting intellectual knowledge out of it, but there was a spiritual knowledge understanding that after every meeting, I just felt lighter. I felt better. I felt at a better place spiritually and learning that same. Now, in business, Rob, learning how to be okay with not knowing is so difficult for me. Uh, As y'all know, uh, I've talked about, I'm starting a new business and I have just taken my time with it and my wife cannot stand it that I am not push, push, push like I normally am about everything. And I said, no, I'm not going to push this. I'm going to work it as it comes and just let it unfold. And it's happening. And it's incredible how it's happening in spite, you know, of when I do push. You know, it really is in spite of me, not because of me. So learning how to do that, Rob, is I think one of the gifts that we get from recovery is learning how to just let it go and go with the flow, that whole idea, you know. Um, Here's a Richard Rohr quote. The way you do anything is the way you do everything. That not knowing is truly our strength in this. And uh, talking about Paul's thorn, the weaker I get, the stronger I become. That's part of this. It's not that we get so weak and then we understand and then we take it from there. It's truly the weaker we get, the stronger we are. That's that paradox of, I think, this whole not knowing. I think it's the same thing. And I made a note that uh, maybe what we're doing is creating space 
emptiness so that we can see the the real answer and get away from our intellect. I cannot tell you how many times I had a situation that I did not know the next thing to do if it was in business or anything. And it really was not about knowing more when I took five minutes and sat quietly, maybe meditated, maybe just got my mind off of what was going on, that all of a sudden I knew the right answer. Paul? Yeah, I do that with my walking. If I get stuck on something at work, I'll just go out and go for a walk. And then it works every time. It's amazing. We're creating space for what we don't know. Yeah, exactly. Anyone else had experiences with that? If not, try it sometime. It really works. It really works. Maybe maybe I could just add, uh, you know, from my side, you know, I'm on a totally new journey as well. So, you know, moved from provinces here in Canada from a corporate job to being a stay-at-home dad. And I'm gone back to university learning to code and, you know, on the spiritual journey. And, and I have to fight the kind of expectations that I think society wants of me of being the man and, you know, having a job and everybody asks me, so what do you do? And, you know, that kind of thing. And, 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 and not letting that get to me and just going with the flow and, and, and trusting God and the universe that, you know, it, it will reveal to me what, what the next steps would be. And I'm, I'm really enjoying it this time around. I feel that there's not that anxiety that, you know, I have to go out and I'm, I'm, I'm spending time with my kids. I'm helping in the household because my wife is studying and she's got a very hectic schedule and, and I'm just being in a, in a sense for, for once in my life and not feeling that it's go, go, go. And I, I need to do all these things. And, and it's, it, it's a luxury as well because we don't need financially to do that at this stage. But um, so I, I have to add that, and I'm grateful for that because it's a gift from God that that I can do that. But yeah, it's 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 kind of liberating just to say, well, look, you know, I'm I'm going to see where this journey takes me, and and I, I don't care what other people think. I, I'm a man in my 40s. I'm unemployed at, at the moment, and and yeah, I I don't have to live up to some expectation of society um, as to what society thinks I need to be. If I want to go and work at the drive-thru or become a greeter at Walmart, I'll do that. Um, hey, 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 Jan, have you, moved, have you moved yet from making excuses to proudly saying what you – I bet at first you had to make that transition at some point. <laughs> yeah, I'm on a sabbatical, but now I'm just – no, I'm unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, man. That's good. Because I imagine you were making all of these excuses at first. Oh, well, you know, you know. Yeah, I'm in between, you know. Uh, <laughs> and the more excuses you make, the worse it sounds, right? So the best is I'm a stay-at-home dad. That's the end of the conversation. Yeah. Well, that's like with alcohol. You know, at first I made all these, oh, I'm allergic to alcohol, all this stuff, you know, about why I didn't drink. Then finally I just said, I don't drink. You know, and everybody stopped asking when I stopped defending <laughs> People stopped asking. It was amazing how, you know, how that happened. When I was trying to defend, people would were still trying to attack. You know, they're, well, you sure you don't? You know, when I just said, no, nah, I don't drink. Okay. And that was the end of the conversation. I was like amazed. <laughs> That's good. That's good. So this blows my mind again. I, I just, I am not a label 
I, I can't define my world by labeling it, and I can't play with all the other people who are insane and try to label it to understand it. You know, this is a whole untethered piece. I'm a guy that doesn't drink, who's gotten a second chance, who is just trying to be a better human and figure out why I'm here in this 24-hour period. That's it. And if you know, somebody says, what do you do? I said, I'm, my answer should be, I'm just here. I'm here. Do you need anything? Do you? Um, you How know, can I help, I, right? Right. I help. I'm, yeah. I'm a helper or I'm, I'm just trying to be a better human. And, and I love your answer. And I don't think I've ever heard this. I, I don't drink. I've been grieving over this. I just came, I just burnt the ships with my parents after eight months. I was grieving over this. I built up this whole dialogue and the 50 questions. And, you know, mom's just like, oh, yeah, I knew something was going on. Um, how about the snow? I mean, that was it. You know, people don't care. They really don't. They really don't. She had no questions, and I've talked to her since. She hasn't had one question since. And I, I thought, you know, and I thought the trumpets were going to blare, and I was going to get on Oprah or something for this great, you know, thing that I did. And, I mean, everything, if, if I would just stop when I'm getting anxious, I was tearing apart a motorcycle, and I was getting crazy because I didn't know what I was doing. I was afraid I was going to break it. If I would just do the opposite, the only thing that the, the biggest thing that Dow's taught me is take everything I know, flip it on its head, and then that's probably the answer. Agreed, Rob. That's good stuff. Um, I do want to talk about Wayne Dyer for a minute, but uh, we haven't heard from Brian or Tina. Either one of y'all have anything today? Y'all good? Okay. I just want to make sure we don't leave you out. Okay. I know Tina usually takes in everything and then she has words of wisdom at the end. So I just want to make sure she gets her words of wisdom in if she has anything, if you're listening, Tina. Just just before we move on, Rob sent me a picture of his bike and it did look broken. <laughs> it's back together now. It actually was fixed. I'm going out and riding with Rob. By, well, my wife doesn't listen, so I can say that. I hope I come out this summer and ride. And we're not talking 50 miles. We're talking. No, we're not. Hours. We're going to do a, we'll do, we'll do a butt burner, Rob. We'll do something. Y'all don't know what a butt burner is. Uh, look that up. It's a IBR. No. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't that, that Brookback Mountain? <laughs> no, no, none of that, Craig. That's why I said look it up. It's a. Uh, it's, okay, uh, it's not a book that I want to get. It's, it's, not, a <laughs> it's not a book. <laughs> thousand miles in 24 hours. You don't. You don't want to Google butt burner. You won't. You won't get good results with that. It's there a thousand is. miles in twenty-four hours, right? So, there's a good uh, book that I'm going to re-pick back up called "The Zen of Motorcycle Maintenance and the Art of Maintenance." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll reread that. Maybe I'll understand more of it this time, or maybe that's, not. That's a good listen, Rob. For me, it's too long for me to read. I will not read a book that long. But I will. I've I've listened to most of it. Yeah, it's good. I think Follow. there was some asset involved in that one, though. There must have been some LSD involved in writing that book. Yes, there was. I, I read it. I read it as a profound teenager. Yeah. I don't understand what the fuck I was reading, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I had to have it. Yeah. You had to say you had read it. <laughs> <laughs> Your ego. You had to. You know that. That's that's uh, that's the sickness side, right? That's funny. Uh, Marla, what do you have out of uh, Wayne Dyer 
before we get out of here today. Do you have anything good? Yes. Um, he titles this Living Without Sickness. I'm going to just jump to the third paragraph. Okay. First of all, what does the word sickness imply? For me, it means that something in the body or mind is out of balance with the well-being from which it originated. That is, it's not in agreement with the Tao. Conditions such as fevers, aches, wheezing, sniffling, breathlessness, coughing, unusual fatigue and fainting are indications of the presence of illness. And the equivalent of such symptoms in our thinking could be fear, anxiety, anger, hatred, worry, guilt, stress, impatience, and so on. These are signals that our thoughts are out of balance with our source, which is pure love, kindness, patience, contentment, and all of the other expressions of Tao-centeredness that appear in these 81 essays on the Tao Te Ching. The sage in this verse has looked long and hard at illness and has come to realize that it represents a physical manifestation of non-Tao thinking. A fever, a cold, an ache, or a pain are all identical to the non-Tao expressions of impatience, fear, anger, or any other ego-driven impulse. Since the sage has seen where thoughts like these lead, he refuses to participate in such folly. Thus he has looked at poor health and vowed, I will not think in ways that bring that about. I'll stay centered in the natural well-being of the Tao, because to think a sick thought is to allow sickness to crop up. Consequently, he's sick of sickness, and the result is the secret of perfect health. I didn't know Wayne was an addict, but he goes on to say, With years of addictive behavior behind me, I can tell you that the wisdom of this verse of the Tao Te Ching was largely responsible for my getting back to the purity and well-being from which I originated. I became sick of my sickness, as I was no longer willing to go through the withdrawals and shame that accompanied it. I saw my affliction not so much in the material world, but in the invisible world of my thoughts, which kept leading me back to the illness. When I finally changed the way I looked at all of this, I was able to bring about the seeming paradox of no longer being ill by getting to the point of being sick of it. This is truly the secret of health. Here's how Lao Tzu would instruct you to put this wisdom to work for you here and now. Have a happy mind. An ancient Chinese proverb says that if a man has a happy mind, he will have a happy body. A happy mind is sick of sickness. It refuses to anticipate that things will get worse. It sees a sniffle, a stomachache, back or knee discomfort, and fatigue as messages to follow the body's signals back to a natural state of well-being. A happy mind thinks of the body as capable of healing infirmities because it knows that it isn't a human creation but a product of the Tao. A happy mind trusts the capacity of the body to live without sickness or suffering. So use your happy mind to work with you to stay healthy. Examine your habits. What daily habits distance you from your natural state of well-being? Any addictions, no matter how serious or minor they might seem, are beckoning you to be totally fed up with them. Get sick of being weakened by destructive pursuits. You know what they are, and you know when, you're habitual, when you've habitually let yourself become ill from food, alcohol, or drugs, 
or from the guilt and shame that results after a binge. Remember that ignoring knowledge is sickness and examine your fixations, vowing not to ignore your awareness of what they are. And do the Tao now. Dedicate a day to really listening to and trusting the messages from your body. And then listen to what your mind tells you about those signals. Introduce your mind to the possibility that the body is signaling a request that you, can't, that you can grant, such as a nap or a walk along the beach, for instance. Cultivate the Tao-centered happy mind, which will not entertain sickness thoughts. Good stuff. Yeah, he. Uh, from what I understand, I think he had a problem with alcohol. Yeah. At one point. He's saying, "Think yourself out of illness." You know, he's uh, he got tired of being sick, didn't he? Yep. Like the rest of us. Like the rest of us. Sure did. Any closing comments? Everyone, good. That was some good conversation today. Good conversation. As always. Well, if we don't have anything, guys, then I guess we'll see y'all next week. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.